Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Low Blow Booking Podcast. My name is Derek Cornett, and we are coming at you live and in living color on your mobile listening devices. We are coming at you through iTunes, through Podbean. We got a Facebook page, and we are rocking and rolling, ladies and gentlemen. It is 2015, February, and we are coming at you with a bang. I am so excited about what we've got going on here this evening. We just finished the epic trilogy of 1988 in which myself, Dave Hall, Jeffrey Jalka, and Scott Criscolo, we went through the uh, Royal Rumble, WrestleMania 4, and SummerSlam, and we re-looked at what happened at that point in time in 1988 and, of course, changed it a little bit. That's what the Low Blow Booking Podcast is all about. Now, here tonight, we've got a little bit of a special treat for you guys, um, it came to my attention, one of my very good friends here, um, I'm going to bring him in in just a moment. He said, what if we were to do a trade? What if the pro wrestling industry like the WWF and WCW back in the 90s kind of had written agreements in which they could trade talent from one another, kind of like the old territories did? Well, with that idea, myself and uh, my guest here this evening put together a hell of a plan, a hell of an idea, and we have got one fun show planned out for you guys tonight. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, 2CW's own most loyal fan I know to indie pro wrestling, all the way from the East Coast, ladies and gentlemen, Patrick Fenton. Welcome in. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Patrick. Tell, tell the fans a little bit about how you became a pro wrestling fan and, you know, where you're at with the with the industry right now. Uh, I started back in uh, 85. Uh, I was a huge fan of the Incredible Hulk show as a kid. And I just happened to see a commercial, and they mentioned the Incredible Hulk Hogan, but I kind of missed the Hulk Hogan part. And uh, so I stayed tuned to watch. And that ended up being like a superstars that they were replaying the Saturday Night's Main Event, like the flag match. And I got hooked right then. That's and awesome. I've been ever since. Uh, all the time. I'm not one of these, uh, you know, I know a lot of people kind of come in and out, but I have been a diehard fan since that day. That's awesome. That's actually before I was born. Um, <laughs> for for most people that don't don't remember the story, I was born in 1986, so a lot of the stuff we talk about is very um, early in my life, and, uh, you know, it's something I love to go back and watch and love to go back and look at. You know, I've got a very nice collection of DVDs and, and shows, but also with the WWE Network. So, Patrick, tell me a little bit about your fandom right now. What is it about today's product or today's wrestling that keeps you hooked? Uh, there's so much. Uh, you know, a lot of people are WWE haters or, you know, to pick apart it. And there's obviously there's stuff that you can dislike and like about it. Um, I just, the matches are so much better, that, uh, you know, as a weekly basis than most like squash matches were. Uh, so that keeps me more entertained because I can still watch a good eight or ten minute match on Raw. Uh, guys like Luke Harper and Dolph Ziggler and, and those kind of guys. And uh, like Indies, I love Indies. I don't get to go to a lot. Um, just kind of where I'm at in the middle, you know, central New York. Um, but I am affiliated with 2CW. I do work for them. Uh, so we go all over to New York State. Uh, and I love everything that we do. Uh, obviously, I'm biased. So, of course, I do. But, uh, you know, I just uh, I just love everything about it. Um, the drama and the action. Uh, it really is just kind of a live sports uh, movie, uh, if you want to say it like that. It's just it's phenomenal. And uh, so I like all kinds of stuff, like the New Japan world. I have at you know, uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling's version of the WWE Network, and uh, obviously, like you said earlier, the WWE Network, so that keeps me entertained. Um, if I don't want to watch something in the new style, yeah, I'll go back and watch stuff from the 80s or the 90s, and I was really into then, too. Nice, nice. I'm currently, uh, 
I'm currently going to let a little cat out of the bag myself and Dave Hall are looking at a, a certain show in 1994 WCW that, um, you know, we might be able to change up a little bit and, and change kind of the course of the way that that company went. Um, I don't think there was a better uh, two-show two series in that time period than um, Spring Stampede and then Slamboree. Uh, what WCW is doing at that time. So uh, him and I are kind of toying around with the idea of what does the 1994 Great America or uh, the 1994 Bash at the Beach look like if Hulk Hogan doesn't come. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, or yeah. or even you know if if Hogan if he doesn't make his debut at that time because they really pimp him on uh, Slamboree at that point. But you know that's just something I love to go back and watch, and you know that's kind of where where my fandom continues to kick in is is I love going back and watching that stuff, and that's why um, you know I created the Low Blow Booking Podcast. I am a huge booking fan. I love rewriting the book. Of course, I'm the proprietor of the Territory Wars Bigelow34.ProBoards.com. Um, and, you know, over there, the Territory Wars is something I've been doing for six years now. I am currently writing up my 280th edition of Monday Night Raw um, consecutive. Um, so I, I love, you know, going back and looking at that stuff. And I go back and look at it just to see how I can improve on it. I'm not going to shit on it. You know, what happened is what happened. And in reality, what happened is what made me a fan today. Um, sure. I, I wouldn't go back and watch those shows and admire them if, if I didn't like what they were doing. So um, here we are with this idea. Now, let me read something here as we, as we kick it into gear. The year is 1992, and needless to say, the world of wrestling is on its heels. For the first time in his career, Ric Flair is the world champion. It is not the NWA world title. Recently, after winning the WWF championship at the Royal Rumble, Ric Flair has taken the top spot in the WWF and put many men in their place. On the other side of the fence, WCW is under new management with Bill Watts stepping into power. And Vince and Bill have decided to make some trades to better each promotion. However, both men had some rules. Now, at this point in time, uh, Patrick put together both rosters and we looked at how can we make this fair. Now, the first thing that we did was we decided that no champions could be traded. However, at the beginning of January in 1992, there was no WWF champion. So we decided to go to January 19th for the Royal Rumble and January 21st, which was the Clash of the Champions for the WCW. We used those dates as the last dates of champions. So for the WWF, world champion was Ric Flair, intercontinental champion was Roddy Piper, and world tag team champions were Hawk and Animal. So those guys could not be traded. For WCW, world champion was Lex Luger. U.S. champion was Rick Rude. Television champion, Steve Austin. Light heavyweight champion was Jushin Thunder Liger. World tag team champions were Bobby Eaton and Arn Anderson. And of course, the U.S. tag team champions, surprisingly, were Ron Simmons and Big Josh. Um, so right there, WCW has the edge. They get to keep um, you know a couple more guys than, than the WWF does. I would say probably that the talent that the WWF gets to keep is a little greater. Now, when we set out for this thing, I actually took over WCW, as you guys know who listen to the show. I am a WCW fan, um, and when it comes to uh, competition, I always like to pull for WCW, um, especially when myself and Dave Hall do the Summit shows. Um, and with this show, we're doing it a little bit differently. Um, so from this, we had to look at how many uh, events we would be doing. Now, this podcast is actually going to be a two-parter. We're going to go through the first part of the year um, right here and finish in July uh, for 
part one, and then part two, we're going to come back and we're going to go um, from August through December and kind of finish up the product and see what everybody thinks of it. Now, with the WWF, we actually had to add a couple more shows because WCW ran six pay-per-views that year along with three Clash of the Champions. Now, the WWF, in that moment, decided that they were going to add in five Saturday night main events and four pay-per-views to kind of round out the show. Now, I don't think that we finished with that number, did we? Uh, no, we actually didn't change it. We kept the three pay-per-views and we added a main event show. A main event. All right. So, from there... We will also keep to real-life events. When a wrestler leaves a promotion for another, they will be allowed to move. If a wrestler is injured, we will adhere to the injury, and that wrestler will be ineligible. Free agents who join a company can only be used from their first pay-per-view or big television show uh, appearance. If an individual is part of the initial trade, their free agency in real life is null, and they adhere to the fantasy booking. Now, um, one of those things would have been, uh, we looked at uh, WCW 1992. At the tail end of 92, some guys like the British Bulldog and Jake the Snake were coming in at that point. So, um, I didn't really need to pick them in the initial trade. But we'll see how that plays out um, as we move along. Now, the trade will take place over four rounds in snake order. And because you are the guest... Patrick was able to have the first selection, and the WWF selected who? Uh, we selected uh, Sting. Now, the franchise player WCW, for the first time in his career, is now on a major stage in a different promotion. Why do you think Sting is your pick there? Because uh, I think it was the most uh, opportune time to see what we could do with Sting outside of WCW. I mean, he really was one of the most popular, if not the most popular guy that they had. And especially coming out of, uh, you know, the early 90s where uh, he was fighting with Flair and really had a lot of momentum behind him. Uh, and all through 91 was the, uh, you know, fight in the early stages of the Dangerous Alliance. It was just kind of like, he's the most popular guy. Let's see what we could do with him in the WF where, they, you know, they're babyface territory. Uh, or they're known for that. So I thought it would be a really good idea to bring a big top babyface in and see what we could do with him. Absolutely. And you know what? If I were in your shoes, I don't really think there'd be another guy that I would select, especially since um, there were so many guys that were actually held up from the draft. So with that, the WWF selects Sting. WCW comes right out hitting, and I have to select Bret the Hitman Hart as my first selection. And that is simply because with the Bill Watts era coming in, we're going to be focusing on wrestling, and there's no better wrestler in the world at this point in time, I think, than Bret Hitman Hart, um, especially in America. Um, so with that, Bret Hart comes over to the WCW, but I've got to remember, in early 92, Bret was simply a intercontinental champion style guy. Um, he wouldn't move into that big um, you know, world title contention until late in the year, so we'll see how I play with that. Now the second round kicks off, and the WCW selects the macho man, Randy Savage. At this point in 92, he's having one of his, uh, you know, this big comeback. Uh, he's got a huge feud with Jake, and on top of that, he looks pretty good in the ring, and he's able to do some great promo work. So uh, Macho Man Randy Savage has come in uh, to WCW, and he almost, re I think with Sting gone, Hitman and uh, Savage, they replace whatever I'm going to be missing um, in, in terms of character with Sting. Now in the second round, who do you got coming, Patrick? Uh, Ricky Steamboat. We bring uh, the dragon in, uh, kind of like the same idea you were talking about uh, with like Savage and Sting. Uh, you know, I needed somebody who could do the uh, work rate matches, uh, and the Ricky Steamboat is obviously somebody that the WWF fans know 
Uh, all you have to do is go back to WrestleMania three, and everybody knows that that match was him and Steamboat uh, with Savage. So I needed a work rate guy. At least you know, that's what I think I need. So I went with Ricky Steamboat because I just think uh, baby face, another baby face guy I could use, and the work rate. Absolutely, and you know the the interesting part is that when you pick him up in January of ninety one, he was fresh, fresh, fresh off of um, a little run in WWE uh, earlier uh, or later in nineteen ninety uh, or nineteen ninety one. So that would be interesting to see how he would play his cards there. Now, who do you starting off the third round with? Uh, I went with the natural, Dustin Rhodes. Um, kind of an odd pick, but I was looking at the roster, and like you said, with a lot of guys that were locked up, um, you know, again, he's another guy who actually left a, a year before, almost exactly to the date. Uh, so it's just, uh, he, he got a lot of momentum in WSW during that year, and I think I could use that momentum and carry him over into my intercontinental uh, division and let him run wild there. I hear that. Now, I went out on a limb. And I selected, in the third round, the British Bulldog. And I simply selected the British Bulldog because I looked at the last two picks that happened. And I remember when we were doing this live, I was even kind of taking my time with this. Um, And it was because I lost my mid-card with Ricky Steamboat and Dustin Rhodes. They were such vital men in that point in time. And plus, they were, uh, you know, tag team contenders. Uh, Steamboat could tag with anybody. Rhodes could tag with anybody. Um, And, you know, Rhodes was tagging with Wyndham at this time. So uh, losing him was tough. So I ended up picking up the British Bulldog. And even though I was going to be getting him in late 92, um, I really wanted to keep him throughout that entire time to to fill out my lower mid card, um, maybe even jump up into the upper mid card when needed. Now, the fourth round is probably one of the more controversial rounds. I ended up selecting, with my final pick, the Heartbreak Kid Shawn Michaels. Freshly turned heel, just getting into the character. Um, Definitely somebody that obviously we know goes on to be great. But throughout 1992, he really solidifies himself as one of the best workers, uh, you know, day-to-day in the WWF. And I'm hoping that he can bring that same kind of excitement and, uh, you know, uh, panache, if you will, to WCW and somebody I'm looking forward to booking over a long period of time. Now, who do you finish up the draft with? Uh, much like you in the controversial pick, I go with Brian Pillman. Um, I know he does. I kind of see him as a heel, even though he really, in, in real time, doesn't become a heel until late '92. But uh, I'm seeing a guy who I could bring in as a face and use him as a good, you know, white meat, uh, white meat kind of baby face, and then use some kind of an event, some kind of an angle to turn him at some point in the year, and uh, I just think he would fit into that mold. So I, I went with Brian Pillman. Absolutely, and in that one, I think when you said that, I go, fuck, because <laughs> Brian Pillman was a guy who I wanted to use um, a lot. I wanted to put him through the roof, um, especially at the end of the year when he could start to team with, uh, with Steve Austin. But lo and behold, I didn't get a chance to do that. So here we go. Um, Patrick, will you just run through some of the guys that you have left on your roster here? I'm going to start off. Of course, I talked about the champions. I've got Luger, Rude, and then I've also got the rest of the the Dangerous Alliance with Austin, Eaton, and Anderson. I hate Larry Zbysko, but I'm going to use him uh, for what he's worth. Um, Sure. And then another guy on the heel side, I've got Big Van Vader, who is really starting to make his name in WCW in this time. Um, he's around for most of the year, um, just really building a reputation. And then I've got this other guy, Cactus Jack. Um, 
Everybody knows what he would become. But in 1992, he had a very successful year. And uh, somebody I'm gonna, I'm definitely gonna utilize in my uh, time here, as he was utilized in WCW. Over on the babyface side, I've got Ron Simmons, um, who is currently a U.S. Tag Champ. Barry Windham, who's coming off an injury. Um, Marcus Alexander Bagwell, who's got some momentum. And of course, I kept the Steiner brothers, Rick and Scott, who you know I ended up losing at the end of the year. However, for the most part, they are vital to my tag team division simply because I don't have too much without them. Um, there wasn't really a lot of very very good babyface tag teams, um, unless you count the Patriots with Todd Champion and Firebreaker Chip. Of course, I've also got Eligante. So if I need to, I can pull him out of my hat. Um, who do you, who do you got going over there for the WWF as some of your main guys? Uh, for the face side, we have uh, well, like I said, the Legion of Doom. Uh, I actually still have Hulk Hogan. Surprisingly, I, I kind of uh, when I first did this up, kind of forgot that he was sticking around till April. Uh, do you know why got, I like, didn't um, take? You know why I didn't take Hogan? Because he was leaving? <laughs> yeah, he pretty much. He did, well, he didn't wrestle the entire time. I don't, and I yeah. think I was going to try and adhere to our rules. Um, with Hogan, I wouldn't be able to use him at all. I mean, he would just – and I guess we could always flex the, the rules on that. But in reality, I don't think Hogan fits with what WCW is trying to do at this time. Now, fast yeah, no, forward – No, I totally agree with that too. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, with what you told me you were looking to do, I, yeah, I don't think he would either. Fast forward it a year from now, maybe. But let's keep going. So uh, keep going with some of your guys you got there. Oh, we got Sid, uh, Roddy Piper, obviously, coming in their kind of champion uh, around that time. Uh, for the baby face side, uh, Undertaker. I have him listed as a face. I know technically he was a heel at the beginning of the year. Um, but it, in my storylines, he really he switches really fast. So I, I lost him on the baby face side. And I got guys like uh, the favorites like Tito Santana, Jim Duggan, uh, and the Bushwhackers. Got guys that are popular, but, you know, nothing that uh, uh, everybody's going to be totally You know what's interesting? Is if I did pick Hulk Hogan, I wonder if Jim Duggan, Earthquake, um, Haku, and the Nasty Boys would have automatically came with him. Um, we could we could have worked that as part of the trade because <laughs> you know those guys those guys followed him everywhere. That, yeah, that's true. You get, uh, and you get a couple extra honky tonk band, a couple other guys that aren't even on the rosters anymore. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, for the heel side, uh, like you said, Earthquake is there um, with Typhoon, obviously natural disasters. Uh, Papa Shango debuts pretty quick in '92. Uh, the Mountie's still kicking around. Uh, and then we have uh, Teddy Biasi, obviously, and IRS, Money Incorporated. They're, they're a pretty big deal uh, throughout most of that year. They're a really good tag team. And uh, Beverly Brothers and the Nasty Boys are, are kicking around, too. And I, I love the tag team, so I try to at least keep them relevant and not just a forgotten element. I'll be honest. The only tag team I was really thinking about taking was DiBiase and IRS. Um, and I think that I could have utilized them, but, man, I didn't want to use them against... Um, against uh, the Dangerous Alliance. And I definitely didn't want to use them against the team I'm going to have coming in um, around June as we kind of finish up this first segment here. Um, yeah, you ha- your, your, your heel roster is, is phenomenal for the top, for the top level. Mm-hmm. And adding those two guys in would just been overload. Yep, absolutely. So here we go. Um, it looks like your first show is on March 7th, correct? That is correct, yeah. All right, so I'm going to jump in. We're going to start at February 29th, Super Brawl 2, uh, live from Milwaukee. Um, as I've gotten these guys, uh, the big things that I'm going to be looking at are kind of just pushing some of the little things. Um, you know, at this point in time, uh, I'm going to definitely have Shawn Michaels on TV because I've got a month from this show, um, from when the draft, to, to put him on TV. I'm going to put Shawn Michaels on TV as a singles guy by himself. And I'm also going to be putting on the British Bulldog and Brett the Hitman Hart as a tag team. 
And I'm going to be pushing them together simply because I want people to see who they are. I want people to, to recognize um, these two guys because they're two of my new people. Now, um, one guy that I actually get supplementary is because I get the Barbarian. Uh, he actually ends up coming over to WCW in February of uh, 92. So he's kind of a, you know, just a, a gotcha. Um, so if I run through this Super Brawl 2 card in Milwaukee, let's go through some of these major things and see what happens. WCW Light Heavyweight Championship, Jushin Liger defeated Richard Morton. Marcus Alexander Bagwell defeated Terry Taylor. Cactus Jack, the Barbarian, and Abdullah the Butcher defeat Big Josh, PN News, and Van Hammer. Um, in, a, in a big match here, I've got the British Bulldog and Bret Hart defeating Steve Armstrong and Tracy Smothers. WCW Television Championship, Stunning Steve Austin defeats the Z-Man. WCW Tag Team Championship, Anderson and Eaton um, actually defeat the Steiner Brothers. Um, we're going to have a, a kind of a DQ, kind of screw you finish there. Uh, U.S. Championship, Rick Rude is going to defeat Barry Windham. And then um, the WCW Heavyweight Championship of the World, I'm going to shock the world Really early, I'm going to have the All-American Ron Simmons defeat Lex Luger to win the world title. I've got to do it at this moment in time. I don't have anybody else who has got the momentum of Ron Simmons at this point. Um, he's somebody that I can I can utilize at this spot. Um, I can take the title off Luger, and I can tell the world that, hey, we're shaking things up a bit. We've got some fresh new guys coming in, and now we've got a world champion that um, you know we're, we're pretty excited about. Um, and with uh, Simmons, uh, some of the other angles I've got going on here, Jesse Ventura makes his debut with uh, Jim Ross as the announcer. And then, of course, he actually um, promotes how he holds the first ever interview with Randy Macho Man Savage live at Super Brawl. Savage comes in talking about what he plans to do, um, you know, uh, just kind of setting seeds for what's going to happen down the road uh, with him and, and who he's looking to go after. Um, you know, definitely throwing out some big names like Lex Luger, Rick Rude, uh, Anderson Eaton, Stunning Steve, um, you know, and definitely just riling some people uh, people up. So um, I'm going to I'm gonna start out with that and uh, then I'm going to jump over to you. So that was February. Um, why don't you tell me what you got going on between the, the draft and March 7th? Okay. Um, well, let's see. We do. I do the real time angle where they have the WF president come out, uh, Jack Tony, and announce Hulk Hogan is the number one contender for the WF championship. Uh, with losing Randy Savage in the in my original plan, uh, I did, it just felt right to do the Hogan flair. Uh, I, you know, a lot of people wanted to see that anyways, and so that's the direction I'm going to head. Uh, so on TV, a couple weeks after the Rumble, we're going to announce that, um, and then I also do a to build up to the first show. Uh, I have a 16-man battle royal for the uh, the winner would get a number one contender shot at the Intercontinental title on that show. So the weeks leading up to this show, uh, we have qualifying matches to kind of get into. It's kind of almost like a lethal lottery, uh, except it's not random. We put the matches together, we qualify for the uh, for the battle royal. So I have a mixture of uh, mid-level guys who get into the battle royal, saving the last spot. Uh, so 15 qualifying matches. And then that 16th spot will be determined on the actual Saturday Night's Main Event show that we're going to have from Chicago. Uh, so that's basically my two main angles leading into this Saturday Night's Main Event, which is my only show between now and WrestleMania. Awesome. And, um, uh, so so go, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, putting over who you got going here and uh, what you're building towards for WrestleMania. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, uh, it's, it kind of sucks that the way that the timeline fell, that my biggest show of the year ends up being my second show. 
so that kind of makes me push things a little bit faster than I would like to do, but that's just the way that the uh, the timeline fell. So as we go into Chicago, I, I kept the Vince McMahon and Bobby Heenan. Uh, I like that team, especially for the Saturday Night's Main Event with Jesse gone and in WCW. I just think like that, that fits, and uh, Vince can get over the, the storylines real well, and then Bobby just being a wisecracker, uh, you know, it just fits. And uh, the opening of the show is basically just kind of uh, video packages that they like to do. Leading into you know showing all the events leading up to the big major uh, major shows and my main event for the first show because Saturday's main event also a lot of times would do the main event first uh, because it was on so late and that would be Hulk Hogan and Sid Justice versus Ric Flair and Jake the Snake and um, the idea here is that again using the real time of what happened Sid and Hogan are at odds for the Royal Rumble and they're friendly but they're not really and then I threw Jake in because I kind of have an idea of where I want to go with him. I want him to be the guy that uh, is kind of like leading Undertaker around. So instead of throwing the Undertaker in the match, Jake is going to put himself into the match. And uh, the bill is going to be, commentary-wise, it's going to focus on Hogan and uh, Flair. But they're going to be teasing the Sid uh, feud there. Uh, I'm not going to pull the trigger and switch the match. I am going to keep Hogan and, and Flair. But Sid will walk out on the match during this, and Flair Roberts will get DQ'd for double-teaming. Uh, this brings Jake to call out Undertaker, and he's going to try to make Taker finish off Hogan. Uh, but then there's there's a turmoil there already, and the TV would lead up to the tension there, and Undertaker would end up turning on Jake and fighting him off, and then Hogan would fight off Flair to set up their WrestleMania match. And then Sid just kind of walks off, and he's kind of forgotten, they talk about the heel turn, you know, they talk about him turning, but they don't really uh, mention it anymore because they're not really sure what's going on with that, uh, as far as that goes. And then my second match is for the Intercontinental Championship, a rematch, Roddy Piper and the Mountie. I just wanted to clean up that, uh, you know, Monty would go on TV and just basically say, I wasn't ready, I didn't know, I only had two days to prepare, it's not fair. So we give him a rematch here. And Piper wins with a sleeper. The uh, the stipulation for the match is that the winner keeps the Intercontinental Championship, but the loser will get a second chance in that battle role that I spoke of earlier. I thought that was kind of a a neat little thing to do, just to you know, kind of maybe pitch a rematch right away. Absolutely. Uh, and then the, uh, my third match is for the tag titles: Money Inc. and the Witchwreckers. Uh, I did, I, I forgot to mention it in the previous uh, here, but Money Inc. It, it won the tag titles uh, prior to the show. It wasn't a t- it wasn't on TV, but they do mention it on TV. It's much like it happened with the Road Warriors, and that'll end up building up to another angle later on. Uh, but for now, we just kind of mentioned that Money Inc. won the tag titles over Legion Doom in some controversial circumstances. Mm-hmm. And I just want to give them a title defense on TV, and the Bushwhackers really don't lose anything by not winning. So the uh, money gets a good uh, TV win to help their tag team title reign. And then I do an interview with the Legion of Doom. And this is more just to explain that they got screwed out of the titles and that they're coming for Money Incorporated. Uh, and that that match has been signed for WrestleMania 8. And then my last match, match number four on the card, is a 15, 16-man battle royal. And uh, I will run through some of the names that were in this. And it's uh, all four guys that I picked up, Sting, Pillman, Steamboat, uh, and Dustin are all in this match. I wanted to put them over right away as being 
threats to the Intercontinental title, so they all win their qualifying matches. And then I throw in, uh, obviously, the Bounty, as I spoke before, Tatanka, Repo Man, uh, the Berserker gets in this, uh, and then I have Owen Hart, Rick Martel, Tito Santana, Boss Man, Virgil, Skinner, and Hacksaw. So just a lot of the mid and upper mid-card guys uh, get thrown into this. And the only two real things that come out of this is that the Mountie gets tossed by Dustin Rhodes, and the Mountie ends up using the, stock, the shock stick on Dustin Rhodes to get him eliminated. Um, I just wanted to throw Dustin into a feud that he could get over pretty fast, and I thought that Jocker Joe as the Mountie was that guy that could really uh, you know, screw him over, but then take his butt kicking later on. So I uh, you know, do that little screw job there in the Battle Royal and get Dustin thrown out. And then, of course, Ricky Steamboat wins the match, and that sets up the uh, Intercontinental Championship match for WrestleMania. Nice. Well, I like a lot of that, um, you know, especially as you're going through there, just setting up things for the future. Um, you know, and you're, and you're throwing all your guys out there, and uh, with Vince and Bobby, you know, they're putting the guys over left and right, um, you know, and, and they can really tell a good story. So I like what you got going on here. So um, why don't you quickly run us through uh, kind of what you got for WrestleMania on that undercard and, and let us know what's going on with the main event. Okay, uh, WrestleMania 8 is from uh, Indianapolis. It's on April 5th. Uh, I do a pre-match, pre-show match, uh, Papa Shango over Virgil. Just like I said, Papa Shango would come in maybe a month before. So I just wanted to uh, get him there. And it's I was just a pre-show, just a dark match. But I wanted to get him out in front of the crowd and uh, get a quick win there. And then my show starts open uh, with Owen Hart and the Repo Man. Uh, I like Owen Hart as a baby face, especially now that his brother's gone. Uh, you know, I could kind of get him out there, get his name out there, push him as a as a mid card baby face, and see what happens. You know, uh, and he gets a quick win over Repo Man because I think Repo Man's a good heel that can help get guys over. Uh, and then I go on to bring in uh, Brian Pillman and Skinner. Again, uh, Skinner's another guy who can help elevate newcomers. And Brian Pillman, like I said, at first I'm going to push him as a face, so I get him out there. And with Skinner, he's the type of guy that he can do his high flying stuff and make it look good. He can hit the air pillman. He can hit the top row drop kick, and he would sell for him. It would, I think, it would be a quick little match to get Brian Pillman over. And uh, I'm one of those guys that at WrestleMania and the big shows, I like to try to get as many guys on the car as I can. So that threw in a six man tag with Tito Santana, Jim Duggan, and Slaughter against the Beverly Brothers and the Berserker. Uh, it's time for some heels to go over at that point, so I put the Beverlys and the Berserker over. Um, I kind of have an idea of upper mid-card feud for Berserker, so I wanted to kind of help him get a win on a big show to show that to uh, that he's still a threat out there. Um, move along to Tatanka and Rick Martel. This match actually happened in real time. Uh, I like the idea of it, and I think that these two worked really well together. Uh, Rick Martel's another guy who can help keep his heat, but also help get somebody over. So Tatanka is that guy. Uh, he is another guy who just came in within the last couple months. So getting a big win on a big show like this is, is something that we're shooting for. And then uh, I move ahead to that Dustin Rose Mounting match. Uh, it's got a little bit of heat behind it because of the angle at Saturday's main event. Um, you know, Mounting trash talks him on the microphone, and Dustin basically just comes out and is like, I'm going to get my revenge on you. And he does here. Gets a nice win. Probably, you know, seven, eight minutes, something like that, where Mounty can get a lot of heat on him early. Probably attacks him before the match. Tries to use the shock stick. But Dustin overcomes all the odds, hits him with the Bulldog, gets a clean win. Uh, and then, as we talked about earlier with the tag team thing, uh, in real time, I kind of really like that angle where the Natural Disasters have a title match against Legion of Doom because of the Royal Rumble stipulation. But Jimmy Hart sells them out 
and sells their title match to Money Incorporated. So they end up turning babyface because of this. And uh, instead of having the disasters have the match with Money Incorporated, I end up having Jimmy Hart sick the Nasty Boys on them. So this is just a big brawl between four guys that don't like each other. And this ends up being a double DQ. Because at this point, you don't really need to have the disasters go over on the Nasties. Uh, and the Nasties don't need to go over on the Natural Disasters because this is going to be uh, a feud between the Natural Disasters and Jimmy Hart's guys, which would include the Nasty Boys. So you can get a finish later on. You can keep that, uh, that whole story going on. Uh, and then I move ahead to Undertaker and Jake Roberts. As, as we talked about the main event, Jake uh, thinks that he kills the Undertaker. He, uh, he attempts to make Paul Bear, make the Undertaker do his bidding. And when he goes after Paul Bear, Undertaker just snaps and starts fighting with Jake Roberts. And I think the promos leading up to this would be fantastic. As we saw, you know, Jake is just such a good promo. Um, especially as a heel bad guy and just him talking about how he made the Undertaker and he made him what he was and he helped him to his first championship and now he's just going to take him out and obviously uh, well, I, think I that want to push Undertaker gonna be, so Undertaker's going to win with yeah, the Tombstone that one's going to be probably a lot like their original match which there was nothing wrong with it in the first place Taker got the dominating victory and, and you know he had bigger and better things on the horizon Absolutely. And Jake's going to quit after this match, and we talked about keeping things as real as possible. And unfortunately for me, Jake Roberts would quit at this show. So any plans I had going forward, and that's, I did keep my booking style as if I wanted to go further and not realizing that Jake was going to leave. So the match ends up being where Jake would hit the DDT and Undertaker would get out of it and then just tombstone him real quick and just kind of end it. Because uh, unfortunately, my idea originally was to go further but because Jake Roberts is leaving, I kind of get stuck with just kind of burying Jake on the way out, uh, killing his finish, and then Taker just tombstoning him for the win. Uh, and then we kind of get into uh, like an upper mid-card. Uh, like I said, Sid Justice had turned heel on Hogan. And with this new big top babyface coming in that the WWE fans don't know at all uh, in Sting, I kind of wanted to make it so that he gets a rub right away. And so he ends up kind of sticking up for, for Hogan. And as Hogan's focusing on Flair, uh, Sid comes on TV and he's going to rip apart Hogan for cheating and him out of the Rumble win and how he's not a good friend. And then Sting's going to end up being the one that kind of sticks up to, sticks up for Hogan while Hogan's concentrating on Flair. So in promos only, I don't have them interact physically at all. Uh, it's just in promos and interviews with like me and Gene. Sting sticks up for uh, for Hogan, and so they meet here, and uh, I'm trying to build a loose alliance with Sid and Flair, because Flair's going to want somebody who can have his back, and he sees Sid as that guy. I mean, he's got Mr. Perfect, he's got Heenan, but he needs somebody who can be a destroyer and a killer. So we kind of, we don't see it yet, but in this match, Mr. Perfect comes out and helps Sting, you know, beat up Sting so that Sid can get the win, uh, get a cheap win, because I want to build heat with Sid helping Hulk Flair and then keeping the loose alliance with Sting and Hogan, which, again, kind of falls off the waist when Hogan leaves, but um, it still works out later in the year. So I keep that going. Uh, and then we move. I have a lot of matches. Sorry. I have a 12 match card, so I apologize <laughs> for the thing. No, it's so okay. Just, just keep rolling here. <laughs> and then we got, uh, I got three more matches left. Uh, all title matches. And this isn't particularly the order I would put them in. It was just, uh, as I was listening about this, of the importance that they go into. WF tag team titles. I have the Legion of Doom versus Money, Inc. 
Uh, LOD gets screwed out, as we talked about earlier on the, on the house show. So this is the rematch, and uh, I I do the Money Inc. walking out, much like they did with the Natural Disasters at the Rio WrestleMania. Uh, LOD wins. Money Inc. still keeps the titles. I just I want this feud to continue. So I thought it was just the best way to do it, because um, you don't need to have a clean finish. Like I said, it's WrestleMania. You want clean finishes for everything, but it's just so early in the feud that I don't want to. I don't want to kind of have that screw job finish so that the fans will want to see LOD chase them and win the titles. Um, and then moving to match seven is the Intercontinental title match. I really liked Roddy Piper and Bret Hart. That is one of the more talked about matches of WrestleMania 8. So I wanted to keep the face-and-face face dynamic going. Uh, and I'm thinking with Piper, he's known for a guy who doesn't want a job, doesn't only loses by pinfall very, very, very rarely. So he did it with Brett. I think he would do it with Steamboat. Steamboat's kind of got that same respect that Brett has. So I think Piper would do it. And this is where Piper Steamboat would just come in, have a really good match, and at the end it would it would be Ricky Steamboat going over Roddy Piper, winning the title, and then Piper endorses him at the end of the match, shakes, hugs, gives him the belt, and walks off. And then Ricky Steamboat is now your Intercontinental Champion. And again, Piper's leaving, so this is the end of Piper for this year. And then in my main event, I have the WF Championship match with Hulk Hogan versus Ric Flair. Uh, knowing now, you know, at the show, I'm going to know that Hogan's not coming back for a while. So, Flair's going to win. I have him winning. Uh, obviously, Mr. Perfect's at ringside with him. Uh, and then uh, I, I would do a thing where Perfect would be distracting the referee. Flair is getting his butt kicked by Hogan. Sid runs out, pulls Hogan out of the ring, posts him, picks him up, power bombs on the floor. Rolls him back in the ring. Ric Flair gets back up, throws the figure four on, and then Hogan can't. He's just out. He's done because of the powerbomb. So the referee would turn around, count his shoulders down, and the match would be over. Uh, it would be the first time that a heel goes over at WrestleMania, um, and it shows this new alliance of Ric Flair, Mr. Perfect, and Sid. They would do a beatdown after the match. Sting would try to come out and try to save him. He would start getting his butt kicked three-on-one. And this is where the Ultimate Warrior would return to help Sting and Hogan. And the babyfaces all celebrate at the end of the show. So you still kind of get that good feel-good moment at the end of the show, even though Hogan lost. But now Warrior's back, Sting's there. And I think the fans would still be excited about the future. Absolutely. Just so much going on. Um, when I look at the card, obviously on paper, um, the matches between Piper and Steamboat would be great. Um, Hogan and Flair is a huge draw. Um, I don't really believe all the stories um, of what is said. I, I really think it came down to a finish, and neither of those guys were willing to really do a finish with each other. Um, you know, was Hogan willing to go down for Flair? Was Flair willing to go down for Hogan, especially after he had just come in? Who was going to be the champion? That's what it really boils down to, ladies and gentlemen. It doesn't have to do with drawing numbers. That's bullshit. It, it's yeah. all about who's going to go down and do the job. Um, and, and I think right here, um, it's an interesting finish. Um, you know, who knows if it actually goes through or not, but, uh, definitely what you have going through in the future. Um, it's, it's a good thing. Yeah. I think Hogan would agree to it only because, uh, they play up that his future is very uncertain. And as we know, he does come back in 93 for a little bit of a run. Um, and my idea was that maybe I could bring him in later in the year. Uh, but then as we discussed, we want to keep things as true as possible. So I dropped that idea. But uh, I think if he felt like he was had to be beaten by three guys to 
put over Flair, I think he would be okay with that because it would show that three guys had to take him out. Whereas instead of just him and Flair and Flair winning uh, one-on-one, that would make him look bad. I think in his eyes, the fans would see that it took three guys, three top guys, yep. and one being a monster and Sid, to take him out. So I think he would agree to it, knowing that he could always just come back whenever he felt like it and get his seat back by beating Sid. All right. Well, here we go, man. I've got uh, one, two, three, four shows. You've got two more to go. Let's jump into May 17th, 1992, Wrestle War, uh, Jacksonville, Florida. On television before this uh, broadcast, the Steiner Brothers defeated Bobby Eaton and Arn Anderson, kind of like how you did with Money, Inc. Um, I've got the Steiner Brothers walking into this event with the tag team titles. On this show, I also have the addition of this very fun, flamboyant character named Scotty Flamingo. Of course, that would be uh, later become Raven, but at this point in time, Scotty Flamingo comes into WCW, and I'm going to use him. I'm going to use him the right way. Um, let's start it off here. We got a nine-match card at WrestleWar. Uh, first match on the card, we got Shawn Michaels. Um, at this point in time, he has recruited a new man, and yes, I'm going to use the angle because it worked, and he's going to have Vinny Vegas... Um, in his corner, and they're going to defeat Marcus Alexander Bagwell. Um, at this point, Shawn Michaels had defeated a very known babyface in in the WWF, and um, that's an awesome opportunity for him to get a very big, big, big television victory. Uh, as we go down the card, um, the Barbarian is going to defeat Big Josh. I've got big plans for the Barbarian uh, going down the line. I always thought he was underutilized. Uh, match number three, we've got Van Hammer defeating Richard Morton. Um, just a simple contest here. I need to keep Van Hammer um, relevant and, and something that's good. I hate, hate, hate Richard Morton. I hate him with the passion of a thousand fires. I never thought he added anything special to a match. Um, uh, so at this point, I'm using him for fodder, and uh, he's definitely got a name. So um, And he can work-ish. So I'm going to put Van Hammer over him um, and kind of let Van Hammer build up some steam so I can continue to use him down the road. I've got the um, debut of the Super Invader, um, and I believe this is Hercules Hernandez uh, under a mask, and he is joined by Mr. Hughes, and they're actually going to defeat Todd Champion and Firebreaker Chip. The reason why I have this going on is because I'm actually beginning to build a little stable with Harley Race as he is now the manager of Big Van Vader. And he is going to have Vader, the Super Invader, and um, Mr. Hughes as kind of his stable. But Vader is definitely going to be his top dog. These guys are debuting as a big-time team to go up against Todd Champion and Firebreaker Chip. Kind of sending these guys on their way. Match number five, we got Scotty Flamingo uh, making his big debut against the Z-Man. And he actually defeats the Z-Man. Tom Zink was a company man at this point. He knew that he had a job, but he also knew that his job was to do jobs. And at this point, he goes down for Scotty Flamingo on a big pay-per-view debut. Match number six, I've got Big Van Vader, and Nick, um, and he is going to be somebody who I'm going to continue to utilize uh, down the line. I'm, I'm going to continue to put him over um, against some of the, um, you know, some of the people in WCW. At this point, I've actually got him um, going against uh, PN News. Um, now, PN News was kind of a joke at this point. But I wanted to really finish him off. And, um, you know, Vader is a guy that was able to do that. Um, kind of put an end to PN News. He was somebody that kind of had a little angle um, previously uh, in the in the previous show. Um, but Vader Vader walks out of this um, just destroying PN News and, and really setting himself up for something big down the road. 
Match number seven, I've got the U.S. Tag Team Championships. Now, these things were kind of floating around a little bit. On television, I had the fabulous Freebirds um, win the U.S. Tag Team titles on a one-night stand tournament, um, quote-unquote, that happened um, on television or at the house show circuit. Um, and that was simply because uh, Ron Simmons was my world champion, so he couldn't be the U.S. Tag Champions and the world champion, so he had to give up the titles. The Freebirds won them, and quickly it was a way to transition them to Bret Hart and Davy Boy Smith, uh, an Englishman and a Canadian holding the U.S. Tag Team Championships. I thought it was a fun idea. Um, so they're my new U.S. Tag Team Champions. I've got the Steiner Brothers as my regular tag champions. I've still got Rude as the U.S. Champion. I've still got Austin as the TV champion. And, of course, I've got my World Heavyweight Championship match here. Ron Simmons defeats Cactus Jack. Um, again, I've got big plans for Cactus Jack, and this match has a lot of, um, you know, excitement to it because the Barbarian is kind of floating around. Now, this is an angle that they did later in the year. I'm going to push it forward to the forefront right here. I need challengers for Ron Simmons. So he's actually going to be kind of having to fight off the Barbarian here. Um, he does end up getting a big victory against Cactus Jack and uh, solidifying his title run. The next match is the War Games, the match beyond. We're going to have Rick Rude, Steve Austin, Bobby Eaton, Arn Anderson, and Larry Zabisco taking on Randy Macho Man Savage, Barry Windham, Rick Steiner, Scott Steiner, and Nikita Koloff. Now, Nikita Koloff is kind of making his return at this point. I don't think I'm going to run with the same angle they did with, uh, with Sting, um, but I do know that this is going to be a very, very bloody, bloody match. And it is going to be Larry Zabisco taking the fall for the Dangerous Alliance because he is the only man without, um, with really no future in this group. Um, and Rick Rude and Steve Austin and Eaton and Arn Anderson are going to continue to be strong. I'm going to have Larry Zabisco, um, you know, get uh, Bulldog from Rick Steiner. Um, you know, Scott Steiner holds him up, and I'm going to have, uh, you know, somebody doing a sleeper hold, something to him. I'm thinking Randy Savage puts him in the sleeper hold so I can get him over. Um, at this point, Barry Windham is juicing hard here. Um, I'm hopefully going to have Savage get some color, um, and it's going to be it's going to be a wild drag out brawl. I don't know if it's a five star match like the original was. Um, kind of losing a guy like Sting, losing a guy like Rhodes, and losing a guy like uh, Steamboat. Um, but I think the Steiners and Randy Savage make up for it. Um, make up for it here. So there's Wrestle War 1992 um, again coming out of there. Uh, Ron Simmons looks strong. Uh, I've got new U.S. Tag Team Champions, and I'm starting to kind of set up some feuds for the summer. Now, that was on May 17th. You've got a May 30th, um, Saturday night's main event. Why don't you tell me what you got going on there? Uh, yeah, uh, we got, uh, it's going to be three, three matches. Uh, Saturday's main event technically ran uh, 90 minutes, so I didn't throw a whole lot on here, just kind of the major angles that are going on. Uh, I do like to bring back the, the original Saturday night's main event promos, hyping into it. I think that'd be fun. Uh, show a couple of video packages with Vince and Bobby at the beginning, just kind of highlighting what we're about to see um, in some of the matches. And I open up with a hot match uh, for the Intercontinental title, Ricky Steamboat, and he'll be going against Brian Pillman. And this is where I'm going to start the turn for Brian. Um, he's been a good little baby face for the last for the few couple months that he's been around, but uh, I do want to uh, I do want to turn him. I do want to get him going on his new direction. So. This match is just a babyface match. Steamo gets the win with a crossbody block. Uh, Pillman kind of lays him out after the match. Uh, just kind of like takes him, you know, forearms him in the back or something, knocks him down, and then just walks off. Nothing, you know, too overdramatic. 
Uh, and then I'm going to move right into my second match, and that's Sting in the Legion of Doom against Ric Flair and Money Incorporated. Uh, originally, this was supposed to be Sid Justice, but when he walks out of the company at the end of April, I throw Ric Flair in here. Uh, and this is just going to be leading to a Sting-Ric Flair feud, because once Hogan's gone, uh, I kind of cipher off Warrior into a different feud, and with the knowing that Sting and Flair can deliver, that's where I'm going to go. And I also want to continue the Legion of Doom Money Incorporated um, feud here. And I have the heels go over. Some cheating. Um, Brian Pillman ends up showing up during this match and helping the heels win. Um, and it kind of, on commentary, they're just going to be like, why is he there? What's he doing? What's going on? Why did he come out and help these guys? What does he have to do with this match? Uh, and then later on in the TV, we'll explain what's going on with him. And then my third match for the night is Undertaker and Warrior. Uh, they're going to team up against the Berserker and Papa Shango. And right at the WrestleMania, I would have the Berserker and Undertaker uh, kind of get in each other's way, like in the entrance way. Uh, no physicality or anything like that, but they would just kind of stare off. Um, and they would do the house show circuit. And then I would kind of do the Warrior Papa Shango, the real-life angle. Sid walks out, so I kind of need to do something with Warrior. Uh, I didn't want to throw him right in with, with Flair, so I siphoned him off to Papa Shango. Because Warrior has that whole feel of the supernatural I know he doesn't, you know, he doesn't actually have powers, but he kind of has that feel. So we go with that. And then Papa Shango uses some of his voodoo chicks here on Warrior. Undertaker will get the pin on Berserker. And then we kind of have this whole Papa Shango Warrior thing going into the summer. I, I like it a lot. I love that team of Ric Flair and Money, Inc. I, th I thought that would have been perfect at this time, especially to go against Sting and the Legion of Doom. you got a lot of power and paint going, he going here. And um, uh, Undertaker versus Berserker, uh, I'm definitely excited about that. Um, all right, so that was May 30th, so now we jump into June. Now, in June, WCW, for some odd reason, ran a Clash of the Champions on the 16th and then a pay-per-view on the 20th. Uh, I'm going to use that. Um, between my uh, May 17th and June 16th show, Nikita Koloff defeated Rick Rude for the U.S. title via botched interference from Vader. I'm going to start this feud off on a, on a big way. And then also Scotty Flamingo defeated Jushin Thunder Liger for the light heavyweight championship. So I've got two big title changes coming in here. Um, I've got a nine-match card here on the Clash of Champions. I'm going to run through it. Um, Shawn Michaels with Vinny Vegas defeated Van Hammer. Again, building up Shawn Michaels for something bigger in the future. Now here's what maybe be, may be my match of the night. Bret Hart and Davey Boy Smith defeat the great Muda and Hiroshi Hase. Um, from Japan, I thought that would have just torn the fucking house down. Um, yeah. it would have been, it would have been amazing to see that, um, Cactus Jack versus, uh, Cactus Jack and the Barbarian defeat Ron Simmons and Big Josh, and the reason why that happens is because there's a lot of controversy, um, due to the match after, um, Ron Simmons defeats Cactus Jack. I almost have a point in which... Um, Ron Simmons is is the title is taken away from him due to um, the brawls that he's having with Cactus Jack, and the title is actually taken away from him by Bill Watts um, in a very very controversial um, manner. Um, you know, on a on a Saturday night, these guys go into a, a huge match in which um, Simmons and and Cactus kind of both. Uh, end up in a double pinfall situation, um, and, and it just goes nuts. Ron Simmons puts his hand on an official. Um, it's pure chaos. Um, Simmons has been taken, has the title taken away from him. We're going to get to that in just a moment. Johnny B. Bad versus Scotty Flamingo for a 15-minute uh, draw 
Um, these two men are, are two of my guys that are definitely going to carry my light heavyweight division. I have a new team debuting. Terry Gordy and Steve Williams defeat the Z-Man and Marcus Alexander Bagwell. Um, miracle violence uh, connection coming in from Japan, destroying everybody in their way. WCW Tag Team Championship, the Steiner Brothers defeat the Fabulous Freebirds. They are definitely looking out for Gordy and Williams. The WCW United States Championship, Nikita Koloff defends that title against Arn Anderson and defeats him actually as Vader, again, charts, uh, tries to get involved in the contest. Um, definitely building towards a Nikita-Vader um, issue. They're definitely going to be seeing each other uh, in the near future. And then I've got semifinal contest for the world title tournament. Now, on this show, I have kind of a, uh, or leading up to this show, I have a bigger tournament. I actually have a rematch between Cactus Jack and Ron Simmons. Um, I, I put it uh, like a minor bracket together, and I actually had both of those guys get double DQ'd. Um, and with that, Rick Rude defeats Barry Windham in the first semifinal match. In the second semifinal match, get this match, Randy Macho Man Savage defeats Stunning Steve Austin. That, I'm giving you that on free fucking TV, okay? Because four days later, it's Beach Blast in Mobile, Alabama. Um, biggest free agency pickup, I got Greg Valentine now. Let's see if he ever makes it on a card. Um, my, uh, here we go, in, in no particular order, but I, think, I, I don't think I have a problem with what I have. Um, the United States, uh, or actually the light heavyweight championship is on the line first. Johnny B. Bad defeats Scotty Flamingo. Again, a rematch from four days earlier. The title's on the line. Johnny B. Bad gets the win. Um, at this point, I've got the United States championship. Nikita Koloff defeats Vader via DQ. Harley Race is getting involved. Um, and I'm definitely going to have Nikita coming out looking strong. He's holding that U.S. title. But that's definitely something that Vader wants and Vader's going to try and get his hands on. Barry Windham and Ron Simmons defeat Cactus Jack and the Barbarian. Ron Simmons has finally found himself a partner in Barry Windham, um, and they're able to, to handle Cactus and the Bar... Or, or Ron Simmons and Barry Windham uh, are able to handle Cactus Jack and the Barbarian. Now, this is another match of the year candidate. Brett the Hitman Hart defeats the Great Muda. Two guys who I know are going to just tear the house down. Um, I'm, I'm having it go over here. Um, and this is another interesting match, especially after I put it together. Match number five, Terry Gordy and Steve Williams uh, defeat the fabulous Freebirds. Could you imagine seeing Terry Gordy against Michael Hayes and Jimmy Garvin? Um, I thought it would be apropos at this point, and Gordy and Williams have now solidified themselves as legit contenders. They are a team that has to be reckoned with. On this show, I also have a television championship match. I've had him now for a couple months. I've built him up on TV. The British Bulldog defeats Stunning Steve Austin to win the television championship. It would be two months later that the British Bulldog would really uh, win the IC title. At this point, he defeats Stunning Steve to win that TV title. He solidified himself as the, um, you know, the big guy in the division. And Stunning Steve is coming into this match hurt. From the match that he had with Randy Savage just four days ago, um, I'm going to have Jesse Ventura and Tony Schiavone putting this thing through the roof. They're going to be talking about how Austin shouldn't even be wrestling, or Jesse is, and Ross is saying that he's going to have to, or Schiavone's going to say that he has to put up the title. Um, you know, just really banter back and forth and, and put that angle over. WCW World Tag Team Championships, the Steiner Brothers uh, defeat Arn Anderson and Bobby Eaton clean on TV. And my final crowning moment, 
on my main event of the evening. Randy Macho Man Savage defeats the ravishing one, Rick Rude, for the World Heavyweight Championship. Randy Savage came to the WCW in January. By June, he has become the World Heavyweight Champion. I built him up. I put him on some major feuds. He's feuded with... Um, you know, the dangerous alliance to get to this point. So, uh, you know, at this time, it's time to pull the trigger. Randy Savage is my new face of the company as I leave Beach Blast. So, uh, how, how do those couple cards look for you there, Patrick? Oh, tremendous. The uh, the controversy, I love I love that. That screams Bill Watts. Yeah. So, uh, having that with Cactus and, and uh, Ron Simmons and then bridging that off into a tournament right away for the title and then bringing in Savage to win it all uh you know he's arguably at his second second win peak uh after retiring in 91 and having him come in in the match with rude i think would be fantastic just off the charts uh rude is is arguably again also at the top of his game so those two just battling out for the wsw championship would be ridiculous it would be awesome uh, i really love that and then uh brett and muda that was fantastic uh, and i like the idea of, of bulldog and winning the tv title you know, give him a secondary championship, let him run with it, and especially with the TV matches being 15 minutes, um, and Brett talking about how he kind of gets blown up uh, after after 10 or 15 minutes. I think that would be a perfect run for him to showcase his talents. Oh, absolutely. I think he's a guy that, at this point, he can run with that title, and he can make some other guys look strong. So let's jump to July 3rd, 1992. Tell me about the main event. Okay. Uh, we bring up the main event. This is originally supposed to be a King of the Rings pay-per-view uh, when we first talked about it, but as I was trying to figure out what to do with SummerSlam and Wembley Stadium, I kind of pushed the tournament off to that, so this just becomes a main event uh, Friday night show, because July 4th falls on Saturday, and as we all know, we're, we're not watching TV uh, unless you're watching fireworks, so we bump it up to a Friday night, we're at the Mid-Hudson Civic Center, uh, and we promote, we promote the King of the Ring, uh, that there's going to be qualifying matches, and then the tournament itself. Uh, and we're on the road to SummerSlam. We're still going to keep it in London, England, and at Wembley Stadium. Uh, I know I don't have Bulldog to really sell the tickets and have that big push, but I think where we're going with our top matches, uh, it'll still work out. And I opened a match with a WWF Championship contest, um, Ric Flair versus Warrior. And I know I had said I wasn't keeping Warrior, I was keeping Warrior away from Flair. This isn't uh, an angle that was built up between them. It was just kind of one of those random matches they get signed. And it ends up just being more of an angle than anything uh, because Flair is establishing a group of guys with him. Like I said, uh, Sid was supposed to be in the group, but then he falls out like a month later. Uh, but I bring in Pillman like I did the last show. We kind of explained that Flair's helped train Pillman in the past, as they mentioned in WCW a lot. So I use that. I throw that out there. Uh, Money Incorporated is kind of tied in together. They're not really, I mean, they're stable, but they're not really like so tight. It's just kind of a loosely group. A lot like the Dangerous Alliance where they'll, they'll wrestle with each other. Uh, but they're still their individual selves. Uh, and this match is just a kind of an angle builder. Uh, Warrior is getting beat down after the match. Uh, Shango appears to do his voodoo after being... Uh, actually, I, I think I'll step back in a second. Uh, Warrior gets get beat down by these guys, staying in the LOD run out to help save them. They run off the bad guys. Boy, uh, Shango appears at the end of the podium. He does his uh, voodoo, and there's a small explosion in the ring. Uh, Warrior ends up missing, Sting and LD run to the back trying to find him. Uh, this kind of becomes a theme throughout the show with Gene Oakland following these guys trying to figure out where Warrior is. Uh, mostly just to push Papa Shango and his voodoo tricks uh, and how the Warrior's going to get over that. And then Flair, just to get a championship match on TV. You know, it's still a big show. I still want to have that big time feeling 
Warrior, a lot of people would have believed that Warrior could just come in and kill him and win the title. So there wasn't, uh, it wasn't just obvious that Flair was going to keep it, at least in my eyes. I don't think that would be. Uh, but it does kind of turn into this big angle just to uh, to lead those those feuds on. And then uh, we have a rematch from the last show, Ricky Steamboat, Brian Pillman. Uh, Steamboat pins Pillman. It's a fun match, but I want Steamer to kind of get a win, get his revenge on Pillman, decking him at the end of the show. Uh, and then nothing more happens. Pillman just leaves after that. There's no... No more continuance to that. Uh, and then I have a debut, Crush, uh, against the Repo Man. Uh, Crush would be on TV prior to this, but I want to get him on a big show just to kind of get him out there as a fresh new baby face, shorter by his new uh, persona because he's not Crush from Demolition anymore. He's the Kona Crush. And uh, I bumped the SummerSlam match up to this show, and he wins, gets himself over. Uh, Repo does his job like he always does. Uh, match for Tito Santana versus Papa Shago. Uh, I really throw this out there just because I wanted to have a reason for Shango to be there. I mean, I guess screwing with Warrior would have been enough, but I kind of want to have a reason why he was still at the show, why he wasn't, wouldn't have been somewhere else. So Shango gets a clean win here. Uh, Papa Shango gets on the, on the microphone and basically just says, I defeated Warrior for good. My voodoo's killed him. Uh, he's gone. And then we cut to Gene Oakland, finds uh, with Sting and Elodie, and they find over uh, Warrior, who's unconscious, and the sh- uh, that, that segment ends with the medics showing up to see what's wrong with Warrior. Uh, and then my last match is just a real quick squash with Nails over your powers because I am going with the Nails program where he showed up on Superstars and just beat the holy hell out of the big boss man. So I've kind of left him out there. didn't really have anything for him to do. I looked at the rest of the roster and there's really not much going on, especially with Nails coming in. It's just a perfect fit. So I'm going to let that, that, that feud go. And uh, so I just kind of wanted to get Nails on the show just to show that he's a killer and chokes out in powers in like two, three minutes. I, I completely agree with that. I'm looking at this show and I'm thinking about, you know, the fact that Ricky Steamboat and Brian Pillman are wrestling, um, you know, in the WWF ring and how fun that would be to see. Um, I, I like it a lot. I like Flair's uh, title reign at this point. Um, going into July, um, he has definitely made a name for himself as the true world's champion, um, defeating some huge names at this point now. Um, and, and just keeping the title, I think that's the, the biggest thing, um, you know, starting to build together that group. And of course, uh, the Papa Shango stuff, it sold in 1992. It was big. So, um, you know, let's see how it all plays out. And, um, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens, um, you know, as we go forward in the future. And that kind of puts the, the WWF to sleep here in this first part of the program. Um, we're going to finish things off now on July 12th, the 1992 Great American Bash in Albany. Now, if you remember this Great American Bash, it was littered with tag team championship contests, um, oh, yeah. and uh, it, it wasn't that good. Um, so let's go through this thing here. Uh, I've got eight matches on the card, um, and, and let's run through it. First match on the card, WCW Light Heavyweight Championship, Johnny B. Bad defeats Jushin Thunder Liger. Um, I want to solidify Johnny B. Bad. I really thought that he had some um, some steam going in to... Um, 1992, and, and somebody that, you know, if given the right push, he could have done something. My second match on the card is Shawn Michaels defeating Larry Zbysko, freshly turned babyface, um, kind of just there, um, nothing too crazy. I just want to get him uh, get him off the card, and Shawn Michaels with Vinny Vegas um, going over him. Um, I like the way that um, that finishes things up, uh, you know, with him. Um, Shawn Michaels now has some big wins under his belt, and he's primed for a, a spectacular second half of the year. Another match I've got here is Barry Windham defeating um, Bobby Eaton. 
Um, at this point, Bobby Eaton is, uh, you know, definitely somebody that's kind of, he's still roaming around with Arn Anderson and Steve Austin and Rick Rude. Um, we've got a, a smaller version of the Dangerous Alliance, a more vicious one. Um, but at this point, Barry Windham getting a big win because Barry Windham's got a lot of name value that I can use in the future. We've got the U.S. Tag Team Championships coming back at you here. Um, Bret Hart and uh, the British Bulldog defeat Arn Anderson and Steve Austin. Now, if you remember... Bret Hart and, and the Bulldog won the titles, and now British Bulldog is kind of a double champion. He's pulling that Lex Luger gimmick where he's got the, the U.S. tag team titles and the TV titles, and they defeat Anderson and Austin. Um, and that kind of just sets up what I have coming up next is the WCW and NWA uh, tag team championships are going to be unified. Steve Williams and Terry Gordy actually defeat the Steiner brothers to unify these two titles and create one. Now, the thing is, is that Gordy and Williams are actually going to walk around with both titles, acting like they're king shit. From there, I've got a big match, um, United States Championship. Big Van Vader defeats Nikita Koloff in a Russian chain match to win the U.S. Championship. Another big title change. At this point, Vader has shown that he is legit. He's a monster. But there's a lot of controversy surrounding this Russian chain match. Um, we look at, um, we're going to be doing the four corners post thing, and I'm actually going to double up an angle that I used previously in the year, um, and, and you guys are going to get to hear about that on our next broadcast, but uh, we'll see if Big Van Vader actually gets to hold on to that U.S. championship um, as we get done. Finally, we've got two more big matches, um, Ron Simmons versus Cactus Jack in a no disqualification match. I want to continue to put both of these guys over. The best way to put over Cactus Jack is to put him in a hardcore brawl. The best way to put over Ron Simmons is to have him win. And that's exactly what happens. Ron Simmons defeats Cactus Jack, um, gets a big win under his belt, and looks good doing it. He is primed and ready for something big in the later part of 1992. Then, main event of the evening, World Heavyweight Championship, the Great American Bash. What better way than to hold a cage match? Randy Macho Man Savage defeats Ravishing Rick Rude for the U or the World Heavyweight Championship. Um, Savage at this point has solidified his title reign, uh, defeated the top guy in WCW and Ravishing Rick Rude, and uh, he just looks good doing it. Um, I'm excited to see where he goes from here um, because Savage now has a fresh new crop of competitors coming up, and there's going to be some major dogs coming after him. Um, especially a guy who's going to be making his debut next month, a guy who, shall we say, has some unfinished business with the Macho Man. Patrick, we just went through the first half of 1992, six months' worth of some great television, some big angles. What is the biggest thing that you want people to look forward to when we come back on the, on the Low Blow Booking Podcast? Well, we go right into SummerSlam, which is arguably the second biggest show that you know, WF does in the year, uh, and it's at Wembley Stadium. So, you know, we're building the Sting Flair, uh, and it, I know it's a WWE feud, but I think it would be great in WF too, especially because now Sting's more mature than he was then. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. And the whole angle with them, uh, with the stables, you know, Sting's kind of aligned himself with Legion of Doom, Flair's got Money Incorporated, and Brian Pillman walking around with him, and Mr. Perfect. So we kind of tease all that and uh, obviously there's a survivor series coming later in the year so uh that'll probably lead to something so that's kind of where we're heading for the wf in uh, late 92 
Um, I think with me, uh, at this point, Randy Savage has solidified himself as uh, my top dog. Um, I've got Shawn Michaels making some runs at the lower end of the card. I've got Bret Hart and the British Bulldog taking it by storm. So I'm using all the guys that I brought in. On top of it, I'm rebuilding up Ron Simmons after having a very controversial world title run. I've got a guy in Cactus Jack who is primed and ready to do more. And all the meanwhile, I've got this guy named Big Van Vader, who at any point in time could snap and destroy everybody in his path. Yes, he could. Yes. On top of that, I've got a pretty strong tag team division right now, but I've got to figure out a way to keep those guys strong because uh, it's kind of frustrating, but they won't be around forever. So um, at this point, Patrick, we're going to wrap things up for this edition of the Lobo Booking Podcast. We wanted to come at you fast and furious here, folks, um, right at the beginning and uh, give you a taste of of what we're going to be doing here for this first six months. The next time that we see each other, that we'd be talking to each other, we're going to be running from September 1992 until December of 1992 and kind of finish things off and see where both of these companies end up. We would love to hear your feedback on this show. Um, check us out. We post on ProWrestlingOnly.com. Uh, we also have our own Facebook page with the Low Blow Booking Podcast. Again, my name is Derek Cornett, and this is Patrick Fenton. Um, Patrick, it's been a pleasure working with you on this project. I'm looking forward to what we've got coming up here in the next six months. Oh, I do too. Uh, we both have some really good stuff going on. Uh, like I said, with Savage as the champion in WCW and uh, the Rick Rude thing and uh, Vader killing everybody. Uh, it's going to be awesome. The next six months or next, what, five months are going to be awesome. Absolutely. So definitely check us out, the Low Blow Booking Podcast. Um, you know, I'm, I'm welcome to everybody joining up there on Facebook. Check us out on Podbean. Check us out on iTunes and uh, give us a share, give us a like, give us a retweet. Um, let us know what you think. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Low Blow Booking Podcast. And uh, we want to thank you for joining us. Have a great evening and uh, we'll see you around. Thank you.